0: Welcome to the FE Insights Podcast, a series of podcasts to bring professionals working in the field up to speed with the latest developments presented by Safra Ali, Chief Executive of the National Training Provider, The Pathway Group.
1: Welcome to FE Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss anything to do with education, work-based learning and the welfare to work sector. This is my or our third edition, and I've got a lovely guest all the way from Essex who's joined us. His company used to be called Essex, but it's now changed it to EVT, and it's the one and only Steve Lawrence. Welcome, Steve. Hello, Seth,
0: and uh, lovely to be here.
1: So, as you know, Steve, this is a podcast that we launched a little while back, and we're here to talk about the further education sector predominantly, and we love this word called insight, so this is a little bit about insight knowledge uh, and and viewpoints and a little bit behind the the headlines. There's no right or wrong here, it's about our own opinions, our views and what's going on in our minds. So before we kick off to that I want to introduce yourself properly in terms of your experience and breadth of uh, knowledge that you have in terms of the particular sector and in terms of my research and because we know each other quite well, I've been going through my emails and and sort of bits and bobs, and I've I've come across and I was counting earlier on about twenty jobs at least on your, on your CV, uh, ranging from obviously training manager, you know recruitment, welfare to work, EMI, a range of things. And uh, just tell us a little bit about what has got you up to here and.
0: and your your experiences in life before we get into. I suppose a young age, I had a very traumatic childhood, and uh, I met a gentleman who uh, sort of acted as a mentor to me, and um, I worked with him for quite a few years. And unfortunately, he died, and his company was uh, taken over by Thorny EMI, and I worked uh, as part of their. A security division doing stuff and I've done different things with different people, lots of that uh, I still don't talk about. It was very interesting work, very mm. varied work. Mm. Some of the stuff was uh, very strange, very weird, but essentially a lot of my job was training people in the commercial world to be sales and also training engineers on how to, uh, if you like, do installations. A lot of this was in private houses and so forth. Mm-hmm. So just just in terms of that, I mean, uh, I mean, one of the
1: things uh, in terms of feedback, and we always after feedback is that uh, a number of people did email me to say they want to know a little bit more about oh. our guests. Uh, last two last two episodes, I went straight into what's going on in the sector. Let's talk business. Let's talk shop. Yes, we know some of these people, and they are well-known figures within the industry. But you know, you only know sometimes what's on LinkedIn and some of the recent activity, and it's good to know a little bit about the history behind the person. So, if you allow me, uh, in terms of my research and research, obviously I've obviously got I've got the key EMI and the fact that you're a corporate trainer and you're a, you're in the training sector. But you you know you've you've got. A range of sort of qualifications, particularly in the sector, in terms of delivery, D31, 32, 33, 34, those sort of qualifications, training manager, and and really experience in mid level management, then experience in executive sort of management. And then, you know, you've moved then from for the last sort of 21, 22 years in, in a role which is sort of consultancy type role and helping business owners. Uh, in, in the in the sector and, and helping businesses who are in you know looking for growth or seeking growth, helping businesses that may have a problem, a bit of a problem solving, a little more troubleshooting aspirations in terms of growth. And you know, have I summarised that a little bit? You know, okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I, I suppose I take two key times. When I was with uh, SVS and, and essentially that became part of uh, Thorn EMI, I then had a car accident. And I was off of work for quite some time. And I wasn't too sure because we just do, our, we do what we like to do and what we enjoy doing or what we have to do. But I, in that time that I was off work, I, I was not sure where I was going. And someone said to me, what you need to do is go to college and learn to type. And I thought to myself, why do I need to type? So they said, well, I, I'll introduce you to someone. And they introduced me to a lady and she explained to me, there's a thing called a computer. And virtually the computer will have a keyboard, which is very similar to a typewriter. And actually getting used to typing, you'll be okay when the, the computer's coming. And I I studied uh, with the RSA typing and I, I sort of failed. Mm. I didn't do very well. So... I had to go back for another term. When I went back for another term, I was ahead of the people that had started Mm. that term. And so people would say to me, oh, do you know how you do this? And I'd say, yeah, you do that, you do that. And I'd explain to them different things. And my teacher said to me, you're actually teaching people. You, You should go into teaching. That sort of got me thinking and I sort of, It was whether I go into child side of teaching or adult. To be honest with you, I I thought the adult side would be easier. Mm, Uh, And I also had some experience in terms of teaching adults and training adults how to do things. I then had a sort of epiphany because I was doing a teacher training course and part of that teacher training course I had to go and do like an internship at a training company. This was a catalyst for me because I was waiting to see the managing director of this company. I was in the waiting room and there was a gentleman beside me whose parents had come over from Jamaica and they'd come over in the Windrush and he was there sitting next to me and I only found out about this afterwards that his parents had come over on the Windrush, but I sort of said... I thought he was perhaps there for a similar job for myself. Mm. And I said to him, uh, how do you do? You know, what, what you doing? He said, oh, I've come here for training. So I said, oh, right. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, uh, health and safety. So I said, oh. I said, uh, why is that? So he said, I've lost my job. So I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So he said, because uh, I can't read or write. And then I, I thought to myself, here we are. This fantastic country, and there's a guy here who's lost his job because he can't read or write, and he can't read the directions on health and safety notices on items like chemicals. I thought that can't be right. We're not a third world com- country at that time, and I thought this this is this is so sad. So that really was a catalyst for me going into training. And then I started doing lots of different courses and so forth. I then became a centre manager uh, and a training manager of a, a training company. The second epiphany was when I was taken on by Reading Partnership and I was headhunted by them. And it was for the first New Deal. It was the pilot New Deal in North Essex. I was like a, a regional manager for... for all the different job centres. And I realised then that, I suppose, hand in glove was, if you like, workforce development and training and jobs, the the three things, whether you be in a job and you needed to upskill, whether you didn't have a job but you needed to get the skills. But even if you got the skills, you still needed to get the job. So I worked with Reading Partnership for quite some time. And then, unfortunately, Reading Partnership kept winning money mm. <laughs> from government contracts. And in the end, they won so much money, they didn't really need anybody on their business development mm. side. And they got rid of about 20 or 30 people. I wasn't one that was uh, got rid of, but I could see the writing was on the wall. Mm. So I, I then left. And that brought me much more into the consultancy side because I realised as much as you want to do stuff to teach people and train people, You have to have the contracts to do that Mm. you have to be able to win the money so that that was taking me down the the business consultancy side
1: i'm talking about money and talking about you know dwp and esfa and and it's at times it's like never the 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 meet in terms of the funding streams and so forth and that's a conversation that we've probably had 10 years back and we'll probably conversation that we'll have 10 years from now. Exactly. It's never exactly. going to be, never the Twain as I say, yes. never the me. But, you, you know, DWP have got a flagship program called Kickstart. Yeah. Kickstart, obviously, Rishi Sunak's brainchild and so forth, and is, that's been extended. You know, from your experience and knowledge in terms of providers who've taken the opportunity and even employers who've taken the opportunity to get involved with Kickstart, how's, how's that been just in terms of a little bit of personal insight from, from yourself?
0: I work with a, a, a charity that does about £10 million uh, a year and they've taken on about three Kickstart youngsters and I've been involved in seeing them every so often and they they are really doing well and they, they are, if you like, they exemplify young people who want to get on. I also work with another company that is a gateway for Kickstart and they've they've found that, yes, they've got a lot of people into work, but they could have got a lot more into work. The red tape and the the, the speed of the DWP
1: yeah.
0: wasn't conducive to that churn, if that makes sense. There was a, a sort of big problem with, um, if you like, the red tape side. Mm. But generally speaking, they have, as you say, extended it, which is great. But there has been a dichotomy. The dichotomy is you've got apprenticeships, and and they're giving the employers X amount of money to take on an apprentice. Mm. They're also pushing traineeships. Yes. And they're pushing kickstart. And all of those three could have the same client. You're fishing in the same pond potentially. Fishing in the same pond. And I think they could have perhaps uh, focused on, on the kickstart, left the traineeship where it was, or they could have, uh, if you like, Made the traineeship more like a kickstart and not done like kickstart.
1: ESF or ESFA and DWP, you know, so DWP is obviously funding kickstart. Yeah. ESFA is pushing the traineeships. Yes. But if we're asked to spend ESFA money, we need the job centers of the DWP. And so you've got an element where the DWP potentially their priority is uh, kickstart. So it's chicken in the egg. Yeah, head. so yeah. You know, you've got that going and then they're trying to please training providers yeah. and have got their own targets. So, you know, the gateway providers are, are in a position where they can do more Yeah, and there is a demand there but DWP have got their own targets as well yes. and employers have got their own targets so it becomes a little bit of a balancing act and everybody's trying to, you know, hit all the boxes and, and sometimes they're not being met.
0: Yeah, and it, it's, it's a shame because, you uh, there is good thoughts behind it all.
1: Yeah, um, the, intentions are the, intentions are the intentions are good, yeah. but it's about implementation more with more.
0: Implementation. And execution,
1: exactly. as you know. And and that's that's the same with business owners and, and uh, leadership within the training sector. So, okay, you know, a little bit of trouble with Kickstart. You know, we've got some traineeships. There's new funding potentially available for traineeship 16 to 18. Yeah. So the procurement contract that took place. Uh,
0: those hit and misses with, with most of these uh, procurement rounds? I have a big problem in my head. Okay. And my problem is you have to have a grade one or a grade two Osted. Mm. Logically speaking, there haven't been many full Ofsted inspections because of COVID. And the ones that are a grade one or a grade two, most probably were already doing traineeships. And yes, they've said, well, if you had a 19 plus a training sheet contract, then you could go for it. But logically speaking, they would have been doing it anyway. So they're not really bringing new people into the marketplace. There's very few people that could actually go for this procurement, even though there's a big fanfare around the procurement. And I think there's also this thing about you can't subcontract. And that also puts some people out of the scope that could do some very good work very locally if the primes could actually subcontract their traineeships to them, those people will be able to bring in a lot more focus locally, if that makes sense. And I also think there's a, a problem with the traineeships in terms of the logic of the flexibility of it. It's supposed to be very flexible, and to a degree it did become flexible, but they now seem to be having this, if you like, thought process that it's a stepping stone. To apprenticeships. Right. But that's not necessarily so. It's just as well that someone gets a job out of it uh, and goes on to employment. So I, I think it's, it needed, like you say, the DWP to sit down with the ESFA and say, right, come together and create a new package, which is half of this and half of that that, that will encompass everything, if that makes sense. Okay. I mean, there's the 16 to 18 procurement as
1: well, that's going to be from providers who are, you know, are they, are
0: they looking to... Well, there's a lot that want to do it, but they can't do it because, because they haven't the, got the grade one and two. They're also in devolved areas. Right. So then they didn't have their own funds... Traineeships before.
1: So from a funding perspective, what, what other game in town,
0: is, if I can use that phrase, is there? what other things can provide a look at? I out? mean, this, this, the big one is the HGV at the moment, uh, and the boot camps, the, I, the so IT, skills, IT boot camps. So
1: this, the Skills Boot Camps, which is all sort of recent news in terms of the shortage, and we've all felt the shortage, yes. and, but is that something that you think people provide? Say, for example, if you're a care provider, or you know you're you're in the you a childcare or something yeah. else. How, how easy is it for a for a provider to switch in? You know, not like not for the HCV,
0: and even so for the IT side. Is there enough trainers out there? Is there, is there enough people out there? Is there again, you know, that's you've hit the nail you know, on the head there. You know, digital as well, you know, a, Digital has become very much the end thing. Is there enough trainers that are is qualified? There enough trainers, quite correct. You know,
1: people can train, but are they are they the the ones who have got the qualifications? you could,
0: you know you take all the boxes that you need i mean go back to you looking at my history i've got c plus plus certificates yeah and I, i've done Sun and stuff like that that's ages ago you have to be up to date you've got to be modern you've got to be funky you've got to be in in the game at the yeah. moment yeah so from a technical awarding body perspective you've
1: got the teaching qualifications plus you've got those qualifications you can teach but does that mean that you know you're going to be relevant exactly up the date in terms of yeah. teaching in this day and age so yeah i, I get that so uh, i want to move on if i may just to your fantastic newsletter that comes out every every sunday and and it's this recent one is 44 pages and, and that yeah. was a little bit of a digest from your usual one sometimes it's going to go, it can go up to 60 70 pages yes. even yep. 80 90 pages <laughs> and you produce that on a weekly basis yeah goes out to goes out to a tremendous amount of people and the key people within the sector. Um, I think it's 3,000-plus yeah. people yeah. that you, you... Tell us a little bit about what that is and how it's come about. It's
0: it's come out for its 10th year now.
1: 10th year. So every week you get a newsletter out on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. so your
0: Sundays are preparing a newsletter. We've never failed to deliver any week over the last 10 years. Most of it is uh, created on going throughout the week. Yeah. So as things happen, they go in into it. Yeah. Of course, just like FE week and just like yeah. other tests and people like that, yeah. things change. Yes. And the week before last was fifty pages, this week as you say forty odd. And you have to keep it relevant. Right. And I try to keep just to five or six pages of news right. and the rest is bids, contracts grants, funds, which is sort of relevant stuff to people in the industry. But it's it doesn't just go out to people in the industry, it also goes out to employers. So I have some large employers that actually receive it each week. I think it's, for me, it, it was started very small, like an acorn, and it's grown, oh, and, grown sure. and grown and grown. Do I enjoy doing it on a Sunday? Yes and no. Some Sundays it's, it uh, you know... Uh, I might sit up on a Saturday night at twelve o'clock on a Saturday night, just because I've got something going on on a Sunday. I have a system which uh, is a, an automatic send out system, so I, I only have to do one. That one then gets sent out to three thousand plus. I think it's three thousand and twenty two people
1: this week. Just to clarify, it is a free resource. Oh yeah, it's it's there for anybody. And you know, the, you know, we obviously give you details at the end, and you'll have an opportunity to share your contact but they can contact you, will be put onto your mailing list and hopefully
0: receive that on a weekly basis. Also, it's it's if they've got news, information, events, anything that's of interest to the industry. Uh, I don't look at it as being about EVT. It's it's about the industry. So it's more, if you like, uh, a, a paperback version, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, no, I know you've, you've been very open in terms of people sharing uh, information, you know, whether that's, you know, whether that's roles, jobs, or whether that's, yeah. you know, specific peer working or any partnership working and so forth. So it is, it is a newsletter for the industry where the industry yeah. can contribute and, and I know it's wi- very widely read and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm an avid reader myself and thank you for you know, allowing us to advertise and promote the few podcast, which you kindly yeah, really have allowed, <laughs> allowed me to do so. Uh, so you've got a diverse customer base uh, you know you do uh, you know you, you do your strategy days you do your partnership development you know there, there's a lot of talk at this moment talking about road Tap, and we had a you know we, we spoke about uh, Roadtap last week as well what's the sense with the independent training providers and I'm focusing a little bit more maybe on the smaller providers who often are overlooked by colleges and the larger, larger organizations and they're the future really in some
0: aspects of, of, of the sector. Yeah, you, You've hit me on a real raw nerve there. Okay. Right, real raw nerve. Okay, right. as long as we stay in Prince. Uh, <laughs> I've just actually turned down some work with a client uh, who I've known for many years. It, it, it's all about the change in, in the application process is quite dynamic. And so you've got to be up to date and you've got to understand what they're looking for and why they're looking for it. And it's not a tick box anymore. It's 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 very focused. And also there's this thought process that if Ofsted's are going to come in, they can see your row application. Before, you used to publish it and it's up there and you could go in and bring it down and so forth. But this client was saying to me, oh, you know, how much is it? So I told him how much it was. And he said, oh, it's very dear. I said, yeah, it's very dear. I appreciate that. He said, well, you used to do it for about £1,000. I said, yeah, I did used to do it for £1,000. I do it now for £1,800. He said, it's very dear. I said, no, it's it's, it's not very dear. People are charging 3000 2500 4000 And in fact, I've found some people that are charging 5000 plus plus VAT. He said, okay, go ahead and do it. So I started to do it, and he kept saying to me, well, you know what to write.
1: Yeah, it's very, perce-
0: very, very, very specific to the. I, I haven't got that information. It's in your HR department. All oh, right, well I, well, I will get it to you. And the HR department said, uh, well, we can't give this out for GDPR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, and I was back forward, and forth. I and was, I was saying to him, this stuff, I want to come and sit down with you and go through this with you at your premises. They said, oh, no. He said, "Ah, said, I'm off to Italy. He said, I'm going on holiday to Italy. Now they've released things on COVID, so I'm going to go and take the missus on holiday. And I said, well, that's great. This is an important thing for your organisation. You've got 180 apprentices, and you've decided to tell me you're going on holiday, find someone else to do it. And he, he said, well, what, why are you saying that? And I said, because this is your livelihood. This is your staff's future yeah. your company's future yeah and also i need to do the job to the best of my ability and i can only do that if i've got the right information mm. and so there is a lot of people thinking that it's the same old same yeah. where it's not and also there's the question they haven't opened it up to new people yet and they had this thing which is the real thing that's got my goat they said oh if you can find a hole in delivery if you've got someone that can deliver it uh, we'll deal with you you have the right to then nominate another training provider that's not on ROAC. But there's no guarantee, and that will take you four weeks. And then, after that four weeks, you've still got to wait 12 weeks. Mm. So now you're looking at basically seven months, even if you were a new provision doing something that's needed, before you could actually get the go-ahead. So it's it's farcical. That's my take on it. They haven't thought – they've thought it through to their own own – own ends, and I mean the small providers are going to find it very difficult because where the small providers are are sitting there waiting for it to open. You know, it most probably now won't open until January or May, maybe April next year. Obviously, we'll keep we'll keep our listener updated in terms of what's going on. I'm sure so, I'm sure you'll do that with
1: the, with your newsletter as well. But what other hot topics are there, Steve, at this moment in time that's on your mind, on the mind of uh, independent providers, and and generally the sector as a, as a
0: as a whole really you've got the new matrix accreditation, growth company. They've won the right to run that nationally. All right. They've done a, a consultation, they've come up with a new, if you like, look at the matrix. Mm. And that's been sort of agreed. Okay. And they're gonna be rolling that out from okay. about January.
1: And I know this is this is a this is a topic which is uh, very well known within the sector, but just just to say, you know, some, somebody who's, who's listening in on this who doesn't know what matrix is, just in simple terms, what, what we're talking about.
0: And if you're looking at the term uh, general stuff, it's IAG, Information, information device, device Guidance. guidance yeah. But it's not only just about the IAG side of it, it's a bit more about quality interaction between the different, if you like, Themes within the matrix. Just saying, I do IAG is is not enough anymore, uh, and it's taken that um, it became a bit get matrix, and then we do it, but we don't know why we do it. We just do it because in the contract we've got to do it.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And there's also the thing with the Baker Clause now,
1: mm.
0: and the Baker Clause with schools, mm. their side of IAG, they're being forced now to take it on where they were ignoring it before. Right. So it's now becoming high priority, the IAG.
1: It's something that the sector has been talking about for years and years and years. Yes. But as you said, the spotlight is further on now, not just in terms of independent providers but colleges and schools as well yeah. uh, and making sure the fact that people are given the right advice i mean you know we remember Craig's advisors from back in the day yes and it's just uh it was a completely different different environment at the time but i think it's something where the, you know we, we keep talking about the job skill market and the skills market and how you know it keeps changing we you know they, i know the government has got their own website and portal but this is something that's very, very important, I think, for any learner to be really signposted correctly and go through that process in a way which is a little bit more robust and thorough. If you're a
0: young person at school, and I was young once, okay. you're faced with uh, going through school and you're going to do these tests and you're going to do these exams, which you've had loads of problems with them over the last 18 months, and then you're going to go out into the big world, and are you going to go to university? Can your folks afford university? Can you afford for the rest of your life to be looking at paying off for a university? What is there out there that you could do? In a lot of ways, schools never used to talk about apprenticeships mm. because they didn't get so many ticks that the school would say, oh, yes, we had uh, 100 young people leave and yeah. go to university this year. They didn't share about 30 or 40 went on apprenticeships. Yes. So it's crucial that they get at a young age that IAG to help them on their way to let them know what's available, but also to mentor them through. Because quite often you get a situation where somebody goes on to an apprenticeship; they take that apprenticeship for a very good reason, mm. but that very good reason is not what they thought it was. Mm -hmm. As an example, a youngster who perhaps looks after their niece, nephew, and does babysitting, and they enjoy it. They have great fun with their niece and nephew. So they then go into childcare as an apprentice. But after about two months in childcare, they go, no, I can't do this. Having 60 youngsters screaming all the time and running around, they go, oh, it's not what I thought it would be. So you need to have that not just leave and fall out of that apprenticeship, counsel them, mentor them, coach them, and then say, right, okay, you obviously care for people. Perhaps you might want to go into care. And I'm not saying that is the only option, but it's it's actually dealing with the situation and not just saying, oh, we've, we've just lost an apprentice. They didn't like it or yes. whatever. Yeah, right. You have to help them along the way.
1: So, I mean, Steve, prior to us hitting the record button here, I mean, you and I were talking about... BTech and the world there subcontracting and and in addition to that the changes that are that have happened in the education department and you know if we to relay that conversation that's probably an hour conversation <laughs> so we're not going to go into that level of detail but just just give some eyes that if you can just a little bit about so you know even if it's an element where somebody can Google and research themselves
0: some of those but people, I think everybody in the industry knows this There's a new education bill. And the new education bill has gone through Parliament. It's now gone to the Lords. The Lords have sat down and I think they made 32 or 52 different amendments. It's now going back to House of Commons. One of the key things in that was then trying to do away with BTECs. And there's been a big uproar amongst MPs and the Lords Mm. saying you can scrap them. And you're scrapping them because you think they might overlap with T-levels. But how do you know the T-levels are going to be a success? Right. So they're saying, why don't you keep them for the next three to four years? Right. And then you can actually measure whether they're still valid, still required. Maybe the T-levels don't take off like you think they are. Right. Personally speaking, and I'm going to be very personal about this, BTECs for me done a lot for the BAME Population in the yeah. country. Yeah. Done a lot for me. I've, I've done some BTECs. And also, the BTECs also has increased what I call the white social mobility because there's been this, this, this sort of thing. Everybody talks about uh, literacy and numeracy. A lot of the BTECs in functional skills and so forth have helped as a stepping stone to get people out of, uh, if you like, I won't call it ghettos, but but areas of deprivation to move on, and also I see lots of people who do lots of good in the world, charities and people like that, and individuals who who, who help people. And a lot of them went to college, done a BTech and it set them on their course for life. And yes, they've gone on to do other courses, and yes, get other qualifications. I don't believe they would have been able to do that without that starting point of the
1: BTECs. Yeah, absolutely. I think the sector as a whole has got a lot of warmth for BTEC. I mean, I myself yes. did a BTEC back in, thinking of the year now, 89, 1991 91, 92. Uh, BTEC first diploma, BTEC yeah. national diploma in business and finance. And, and you know, the, the, that brand is very, very prominent, very yes. well known with employers as well. Exactly. Uh, so the sector, so sector has got a lot of warmth for it, but at the end of the day, the employers recognize it, understand it. It's going to take a long while for the employers to start understanding really what T-level is. And at the end of the day, you know, it's all about vocational qualifications and employers, you know, really want to understand what am I getting for this? What's the capability of the individual, really the skill sets? And it takes a while for businesses to, and employers, to, um, uh, to 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 yeah. understand it fully yeah. and and be explained in a way what what this is so yeah. we have this uh, love and regards for B B-Tech and the, the the thinking behind T levels is not bad as well to open the market up and you know they've gone through a long consultation process but it still takes time to embed I'm not going to re- relay all the conversation but it's probably the right thing in terms of re really looking at that in in a in a way and maybe slowing down some aspects of it before we phase
0: things out. The other big sort of point at the moment is subcontracting. There is this ITP, Independent Training Providers, and subcontracting. They have a different set of rules to the colleges, and they have a different set of requirements within those rules. That is unfair sometimes to the primes, because the primes have got to go out and do audits, pay for an audit, and they've got to make sure that uh, they've done all their due diligence, and they then go to ask permission. And then you've got ITPs that are very small, very niche, and maybe doing great work, but in a very small sector. For many years, I worked with um, successful mums. So that's getting women returners, single mums, back into work. Mm. Very niche, very specialist. I think if you talk to uh, Jade Knight, who created Successful Mums, she's somewhere like 7,000 women she's helped since its inception. And that's very focused and very specialist. But when you look at it from ESFA's point of view, yeah. there's no flexibility there. You've, you've got to do a qualification that fits what we say. Otherwise, we won't give you any money.
1: Yes. And, and you and I both know that you know, qualifications have they've, they've gone through a bit of a period of culling. So a lot of qualifications that were there, the shorter ones and so forth, they've changed. now. Yes. And the qualification landscape changes quite regularly. So sometimes, you know, you are trying to pigeonhole and, and put people into a qualification box where really sometimes the shorter courses yes. that after, yeah, fully fully with you in terms of impact. And sometimes it's that little, it's like training at 11 o'clock and applying at 12 o'clock. It's the short courses yes. that has the biggest
0: biggest impact. But, I mean, if you look at something like the SIA.
1: The security industry association?
0: Yeah, Um, those for security guards. Yeah. uh, They've redone the standards for that, but they've also done the retakes. So anybody that is already holding a license has to do their retake. Yeah. And that starts from this month. However, we've lost a lot of people. And if you listen to the news, a lot of people that came from the EU that were... SIA qualified have now gone back to their own countries yeah a lot of people that were on furlough for some of the large nightclubs and discos
1: yes
0: showing my age there those people were put on furlough yeah and then decided to go and get a job with Amazon Steve I'm going to try to bring things
1: a little bit to a close but I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot if I may here Meetup, <laughs> you and I have been <laughs> started this about five, six years ago. Yes. And it was there as a free uh, networking event yep. for providers to come on board. We had, you know, big support from the uh, awarding bodies. You know, we had IQA, yep. we had Pearson, we had, yep. you know, Nocn, we had, you know, all of these uh, awarding bodies supporting and backing us. And we had independent training providers and, you know, good discussions and so forth. Is there a need for Pain meetup?
0: There is. Um, I'm going to jump in with something on my own bad way. Okay, okay, please. Um, I'm one of the five founders of the Confederation of Education Consultants. Yes. And that's going from strength to strength at the moment. I do a lot of the admin for that, and I'm sort of the forward face on LinkedIn. Okay. But it's no means down to me. Okay. There's there's, uh, seven people on the committee. Um, So that takes up a lot of my time. We're doing a whole raft of different webinars and stuff like that. If
1: I may interject, for those that don't know, what is it? Just explain a little bit about it if you can. Well, the the
0: CEC or Confederation of Education Consultants is a group of like-minded people and they sign up to having data protection, uh, they sign up to having insurance, and they sign up to um, some... If you like, rules, how they'll abide by those like rules. Like a code of conduct. Code yeah. of conduct. Yeah. We found that there are, I think the last count, we had 86 business consultants, education business consultants, who couldn't become members because they haven't got any, okay. uh, they haven't got data protection or they haven't got insurance or they oh, haven't really? got both, uh, which we found rather strange. But there again, it's an expense, and there again, it's also for the industry. Um, we've heard some horrific stories, right? Where training providers have come out under a situation where they've lost a lot of money. Right.
1: Steve, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your
0: company. Much appreciate that, and
1: thank you for driving all the way to sunny Birmingham. So this was our third episode of Effie Podcast. Uh, A lovely conversation with the lovely Steve Lawrence, a personal friend of mine. He's helped me in the past on many, many occasions. Uh, He was our head judge back in the day with Asian Apprentice Awards when we set that up in 2016. And he supported myself personally and Pathway Group as an organization. And he's my go-to for many, many, uh, many reasons. And uh, as it is, a personal friend of mine, it's been my honor and privilege to have him here, to welcome him here. Uh, This is FE Podcast, it's Further Education Sector Insights. This is what we do. We have a a conversation with people who who are at the front line, who've got a different perspective, different dynamic in terms of the the sector. It's not just about headline news that we can all Google and and look up. up. It's a slightly different way of of looking at things, and that's what we try and bring to the table. If people are interested, if you think that you've got something that Uh, our listeners our audiences will 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 benefit from 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 a conversation i'm very open to having conversations with people Uh, please get a hold of me on uh, well fepodcast.co.uk i'm also on social media i'm a bit of a social animal in the footsteps of steve please get in touch and let's let's carry on with the journey of of promoting the sector and doing what we can Uh, thank you for your contribution thank you for your time
0: Thanks for listening to the latest news and insights from the further education sector. Safraz Ali will be keeping his ear to the ground and will be back soon with new developments and comment from some of the top professionals in the field.